Let me add my welcome to Marshalls and Nick Swan, the associate pastor here at Grace. Welcome to all of you online. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday this week. We are continuing our series in the book of Romans this morning from Romans chapter 8. And the title of our message this morning is Amazing Grace, Freedom from Condemnation. Let me pray for us. Father, by your spirit, open our hearts to your word this morning. May we be a people who live in the good of Christ's coming and the salvation that he brought. And may we live for the day when that salvation will finally be brought to completion. Completion in our hearts and completion in all of creation. May we live in the hope of that in this Advent season, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. We are not who we once were, yet... Who we once were shapes how we now live. We are not who we once were, yet who we once were shapes how we now live. An apt illustration of this is marriage. There's a moment at the end of every wedding ceremony. After the vows have been taken, the rings have been exchanged, the bride has been kissed, when the new couple is introduced to all those who are gathered. I now introduce to you for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And this new reality is a spiritual one. Through vows and by the Holy Spirit, two have become one. Just minutes before they entered the sanctuary as individuals. And after these vows and through the work of the Holy Spirit, two become one in the covenant of marriage. They are no longer who they once were. But as any married couple can attest, the new status as a married couple doesn't suddenly mean that we change as individuals as much as we might like to change the person that we married. The call to die to oneself and to serve the other one, it's a call that's hard and we often do not answer this call. It's often easier to serve ourselves rather than to serve the one whom we vowed to love. Not only is it hard to fulfill that call of sacrificial love... We have all kinds of preferences, many of which we didn't even know that we had. And these preferences and these expectations from our former life, they shape how we now live together as married couples. Yes, to be married, we have a new status. Two has become one. We are not who we once were, yet who we once were shapes how we now live. And it takes a lifetime of married life to live into this new identity as a couple. Now, Paul in Romans has been developing for several chapters what it looks like to live into our new identity as believers in Christ. We are not who we once were. As Peter says, we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Or as Paul says in Colossians, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A change has taken place. But as Romans 7 made clear last week, although our status has changed, who we once were does continue to shape how we now live. In fact, our old selves, they're in conflict with who we now are. To use Paul's terms, the flesh, our old selves, is it's living in conflict with the spirit in our new selves. So often we end up doing the very thing that we do not want to do. This week in Romans 8, 1 to 11, Paul strengthens us in this battle against the old self. And he does so by reminding us yet again of our new status, who we are in Christ 
Jesus. Yes, we battle the patterns of our old life, but make no mistake, we are not who we once were. We're no longer in the flesh. We're now in the spirit, each and every one who has believed. We are no longer under condemnation and death. In fact, we are now forgiven. We have righteousness from Christ. We are alive and we are at peace with God. This is who we now are. And Paul gives us this reminder so that we might know who we are as we battle the influence of who we once were. Our first point this morning is this, no condemnation, no condemnation. Let's begin with verse number one. Look with me there, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 is a glorious declaration of our new status in Christ, who we now are. But why do we need to hear this good news? Here's why. In our battle against sin, which has been outlined for us in chapter 7, it's easy for us to forget the good news of our forgiveness. The good news that we no longer live under the condemnation of God. When we sin, it's easy to forget that we are no longer defined by those sins. Sins that ensnare us, we begin to think this is what defines us. And Paul wants to remind us that there is no condemnation. We are not to heap guilt and condemnation upon ourselves. So often we chastise or berate or upbraid or reprove ourselves, giving into this steady stream of self-condemning thoughts, forgetting who we are in Christ Jesus. If you want a living example of self-recrimination... All you need to do is join me for a round of golf. I often joke when I'm meeting someone for the first time and I introduce myself, if you forget my name, don't worry. In just a few holes, when you hear me yelling at myself, I will remind you what my name is. This is what you might hear. Nick, what is wrong with you? Just hit the ball. Oh, Nick, you are such a moron. You are an idiot. Have you ever played this game before? Nick, good grief. How hard could this possibly be? Join me and you'll remember my name. And it goes on and on. When we sin, we often do the same thing. Come on, what's wrong with you? Come on, why do you keep failing in the same way? Our response to failure is often to beat ourselves up, to heap guilt and shame upon our own heads, thinking that if we just do this enough, somehow it will free us from our patterns of sin. Paul even does so at a moment of desperation at the end of chapter 7. Remember what he says when he's talking about this battle. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But in Paul's moment of desperation, he turns our attention and his attention to 8-1. Yes, we will sin. But our response is not to keep shame and guilt upon ourselves. Our response ought to be to confess our sins and receive the forgiveness that Jesus has freely given to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or or to put it another way, we ought not to condemn ourselves for sin because the sin that we have committed has already been condemned in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are free from guilt and shame in the face of our own sin. Now, how is this good news possible Look with me at verses 2 through 4. How can God declare this? He can do so because of this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We once lived under the law of sin and death. All of our attempts to overcome this law of sin and death proved fruitless because as we learned last week, the law simply reveals how sinful we are. We think by turning to the law, it'll help us, but all it does is shine a spotlight, as Marshall said, on how sinful we actually are. So turning to the law cannot save us. So God accomplished through Christ what the law, weakened by our sinful flesh, could never do. God sent his son as one of us to take on flesh in our likeness. And as our representative, Christ took our sin upon himself. Christ as our representative was condemned in our place for our sins. And not only did he take our sin in condemnation, the condemnation that it deserved, he also lived a perfect life, fulfilling the law that we could never fulfill so that we might have a righteousness that we could never earn. All that we needed, God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we no longer walk according to the flesh, which leads to sin and death, but according to the spirit, which leads to righteousness and life. Now, I don't want you to miss this connection between Jesus' death and our freedom from condemnation. If you can remember back to last week's passage, in that passage, Paul uses marriage and remarriage as a picture of the relationship between death and the law. If you've got a Bible open in front of you, uh, you can turn or look back to Romans 7, 1 through 3. It says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now what we learn from what seems like unrelated verses here is that the law is only binding on a married person as long as that person or the person's spouse is alive. Once the spouse passes away, all the legal requirements of that marriage are now gone, and that person is now free to remarry. To tie it to this passage, each of us are born married to the flesh, if you will, married to sin and death. But Jesus came to take on our flesh and sin, and it was condemned in him for us. United with Christ, we have died, and we died with him. Therefore, the law that once bound us to the flesh, to sin and to death, it's now done away with. We've died. We've been freed from the obligation of that law. The law and the condemnation that it brings no longer has any claim upon us. In Christ, we've been raised to newness of life. We are now free to be married to the spirit of God in his life and righteousness. We now have a new spouse We've been united to Christ. We now have Christ's new life. We now have his perfect righteousness. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law no longer has any claim on us because we have died to it when we died with Christ. We're free. The law has no claim upon us. Just like the married couple whose status has changed... United with Christ, we are no longer who we once were. 
We have a new life. And we have this life through faith in Christ. But just like that married couple, we are not who we once were, yet who we once were does continue to shape how we now live. And this brings us to point number two. The test of spiritual mindedness. The test of spiritual mindedness. Look with me at verses five through eight. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In order for us to understand our new status in the Spirit, Paul contrasts what it looks like to live in the flesh, and what it looks like to live in the Spirit. And in so doing, Paul helps us to discern whether we are in the Spirit or whether we are in the flesh. And Paul uses this parallel language to contrast these two pathways. And these pathways, they share characteristics. We live according to this pathway. And it's defined by what we set our minds upon. And when we set our mind upon these things, our lives begin to reflect the pathway that we are on, either in the flesh or in the spirit. Now, to live according to something is about our lifestyle, our daily conduct. And this daily conduct, this this lifestyle, it flows out of what we set our minds upon, what we fix our minds upon. And setting our minds upon something, as one commentator puts it, it encompasses all of the faculties of our souls, our reason, understanding, and affections. When we live according to something, we set our mind upon something. It's a reflection of who we are, our identity, and therefore it is reflected in how we live. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in our lives. For instance, when we say someone has a healthy lifestyle, it captures some of these dynamics... Someone who embraces a healthy lifestyle, they live according to this lifestyle. They set their mind upon this lifestyle in such a way that they think about this lifestyle. They live life according to this lifestyle. They set their affections upon this lifestyle and it reshapes how they live. Likely this person exercises regularly and thoughtfully. This person considers what foods they put into their bodies and when. This person probably tracks their sleep, their physical activities, their body measurements to make sure that they're on track with the goals that they have set for themselves. This person reads and thinks about various ways to grow in this lifestyle. They connect with others of similar interests who they might exercise together or talk about how they're living this life together. And the net result of living according to this lifestyle, of setting their minds on this lifestyle, is a person who is healthy inside and out. What Paul is pointing to here when he's speaking of flesh and spirit is similar but at a deeper level. A person can be unhealthy and then embrace a healthy lifestyle and then become unhealthy again. But what Paul is talking about here to be in the spirit or to be in the flesh, it's definitive who we are. It is our identity. But our identity as people in the flesh or the spirit is about who we are in our very being. To use a fancy word, it's a reflection of our ontology, what we are in our nature, in our very persons. It defines who we are objectively, who we are positionally, our identity. This is who I am, therefore this is how I live. 
So what does it mean to live according to the flesh, to be in the flesh? Paul says this, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And to set our mind on the flesh is death. Meaning that the flesh is to be under condemnation, to have a sentence of death hanging over us. Paul further describes this status of being in the flesh in verse 7. The person whose mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Meaning this person refuses to submit to God's lordship. More profoundly, the person who is in the flesh cannot submit to God. They are so enslaved to the flesh that they are incapable of actually submitting to God. In fact, verse 8, they cannot even please God. Now these are stinging and probably surprising words to some of us. In a world that argues that we are innately good, that argues that all we need to do is find freedom by being our authentic selves, Paul is arguing quite the opposite. To be our authentic selves is actually to be in the flesh. It is to be in death. It is to be under God's condemnation. To be in the flesh is to be hostile to God, incapable of submitting to God and incapable of pleasing God. When we are in the flesh, we are beings who are dead in our sins and incapable of saving ourselves. To be in the flesh is to be under condemnation and on a pathway towards death and eternal separation from God. And so the question is, as we read about this, is where are you? Are you in the flesh or are you in the spirit? Are you actively living in the flesh, living a life hostile to God? Are you actively refusing to submit to his lordship, his rule over your life? If that's you, you are living a life that places you under God's judgment and condemnation. It's a life that leads not to freedom, but to slavery and death. It doesn't lead you to your authentic self to be able to do whatever you want. It is not the freedom that it promises. It's actually the slavery that will lead you to death. The law weakened by the flesh is no help to you either. Don't think, well, I've been in the flesh and I want to change, so now I'm going to live a moral life. The law won't help you because the law can't save you. All the law will do is reveal to you how sinful you are and how incapable you are of saving yourself. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. You are actually incapable of saving yourself and incapable of pleasing God apart from him. What you must do is to turn from ruling your own life, turn to Christ, trust in him, submit to him, acknowledge your condition, and receive the freedom and salvation that he offers you. Turn from living according to the flesh. Turn from living according to your own law, being a law unto yourself, and turn to Christ who can bring life and peace. This brings us to our final point briefly where Paul explains what it looks like to live according to the spirit. We've seen what it looks like to live according to the flesh and the salvation that Christ offers us from the flesh. This is what it looks like to live according to the spirit. Point number three, people of the spirit. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
For those who are in the Spirit, you are on a different path this morning. We are not who we once were. Yes, we battle sin. Yes, we are still drawn to our former way of living. Yes, fighting sin in this old life, it can seem hard and sometimes overwhelming like we can never win. But friends, for those who are in Christ, we are not who we once were. For those who are in Christ, we now live according to the Spirit, which brings life and peace. For those in Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwells within us. For those in Christ, our bodies, although they are dying, we have souls that are alive. The resurrection life of Christ, the Spirit who raised Him from the dead, now dwells within us. And one day, these mortal bodies will be raised to newness of life. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. You live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This morning is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent perfectly illustrates the tension that we so often feel as we try and live according to the Spirit and battle our old way of the flesh. Our old habits die hard. We live as people between these Advents. Christ has come. He has lived for us. He's died for us. He's risen for us. We now have salvation, and yet we feel this tension. We have a foretaste of this salvation, and yet we wait for a day when it will be made complete, when we'll no longer feel this wrestling match of the spirit and the flesh, when we will finally be free to live aligned with who we are in Christ Jesus. No more tension, no more fighting, no more temptation, no more sin. Our passage this morning gives us that hope to empower us in the midst of the battle of daily life. Hope that is given to us in the advent of Christ, that he has come and he will come again. Although our bodies are wasting away and this world is broken, Christ has begun a redemption that he will one day come again and bring to completion. And friends, as you battle today and live life now, live in light of that day, this battle will one day come to an end and who we are will finally be brought to completion. Let's live in the freedom that Christ has given us. There is no condemnation. Walk away from your guilt and from your shame. Live in the salvation that you have and live for the salvation that is yet to come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that we no longer have to live defined by our flaws, our failures, our sins. You have spoken a word of love and forgiveness and no condemnation over us. And I pray that we would receive it by faith in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would empower us by who we are in Christ to live not according to the flesh, our old way, but according to the spirit which leads to life. And that you would allow who we are in Christ to define how we live and the hope that one day you will bring that work to completion. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.